Hello and welcome to the Massive Attack Podcast. It is episode 130. I am your host, Mitch, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Joe. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm very well, Mitch. How are you? I'm good. This is the A to Zs, the 2021s of A to Zs, and we are up to the letter Q. So many things that we could have talked about. So many. Really? No, not really. We we struggled. <laughs> we struggled to come up with the Q yes. topic. But you came up with the great topic of Quadrophenia, which is a film. It's a few things, but we were mainly talking about the film. It's something I've always wanted to see, but I've never seen it. So I knew of it. I knew it was about mods. And that was about it. So I went into this incredibly blind and I watched it last night. What's your take on this film? Or what's your history with it? All right. So I probably saw it when I was in high school and I knew it existed because I have a bit of connection with, well, not really mods, but my brother was a skinhead, but he also drove a scooter. Do you drive a scooter or do you ride a scooter? Well, you probably ride it is probably the better word to say. But mm. So he had a scooter that had the you know Union Jack painted on the fairing. He had all the mirrors. He had the foxtail on his aerial and all that sort of stuff. So similar to how the mods had their scooters in Quadrophenia, that's how my brother had his scooter. Okay. And then later on, my sister was also a skinhead, so she had a scooter for a little while too, but hers wasn't quite as full on with the um, mirrors and the chrome and stuff. But So I kind of knew about this sort of subculture, you could call it, of the mods and the skins and that sort of stuff back from when I was younger. But yeah, it probably wasn't until I was in high school when I saw the film. I knew it was based off an album by The Who, but I don't think I had ever sat down and listened to the album. So I was never a big Who fan when I was a kid. Still not really a Who fan now. They've got a couple of really good songs, but I wouldn't go out of my way to listen to them. Yeah, so The Who released the album Quadrophenia in the 70s. I think it was about 73. And it is a rock opera, similar to how they did Tommy, where the whole album f- follows the story. And it's it's basically about the lead character, who's a mod, going down to Brighton with his mates and getting into a big brawl with the rockers. So 1979, the film came out, and it is kind of an adaptation of the that Who album, they use most of the Who songs that are on that album as various bits and pieces in the soundtrack of the movie. Yeah, unlike Tommy, it's not a musical. It's a it's a narrative movie that has, oh, what's the term they use? Not anachronistic music? I is think that, that is the music, yeah. Where the music is part of the movie, but it's it's just they're listening to it at a party yeah. or it's on the radio or something like that. But a, a lot of it It's is. not like any of the characters are actually singing these songs. They're just on in the background no. in pivotal moments of the movie. That's part of the, these it's about the main characters are mod. Yep. All right, so the mods from what I gather, and this is what I, I've learned a lot about, because I knew mods was, I saw it as a fact. Yeah, I thought thing, that too. And it is, but there's a lot more behind it. And that's what I found out. And we'll talk about that later. But yeah, so the thing with the mods, it's, it's a fashion. It's an ideal. It's the scooters. Like that's part of the goes with the fashion. And it's also the music. So those three, four things are what make. Yep being a modder thing so yeah the music definitely plays a massive part of it in the movie and also part of the, the culture so yeah it, and it was done really well like this is a first time director made this movie and it felt very confident hmm. for a first time director so what, what what are we talking 1979 this came out 79 so i think so. it was probably mid 80s where i saw hmm. it i was probably in early high school and i think i've seen it a couple of times since but i hadn't watched it in probably 
20 years when I watched it again this week. And it's amazing how much of it I still remembered. There were certain scenes in it that really stuck with me. Even a couple of the lines in the movie that I'll get to when we go over the plot that stuck with me. So yeah. One thing I definitely do remember is the start of the movie, it starts with the main character in like a bathhouse sort of thing. And there's just an awful lot of wang in this movie for no apparent reason. Well, well, I was shocked. Like, like I said, I did not know anything about this movie going in. I knew Sting was in it, yep. and I knew it was about mods. And I was like, is it a musical? Is it a lighthearted jaunt? I honestly didn't know, and it had scooters in it. That was it. And then in the first five minutes, you know, they dropped the F word, which I thought, oh, because I, I didn't even know it was made in 1979. I wasn't sure when it was made. I knew Sting was in it, so I sort of could get a gist. But there was a, quite a liberal use of the F word, and the C-bomb yep. was used a couple of times, which is like, ooh, this is not what I was expecting for a start. And then, yeah, they go to a bathhouse, which they get locked in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, this is set in 1964. So, obviously, they mustn't have baths in the apartments where they live. Like, he lives at, the main character lives at home with his parents. I, I think it's. But he, he goes to a bathhouse and there's a guy I, who. I think he lives with his mum and his mum's new boyfriend or like stepdad or something because there's a real sort of dynamic that his dad doesn't, or his father figure doesn't quite get the whole idea of being a mod and what it's I like. I thought he was a dad who didn't. Yeah, I think it. it's. I, I don't think it's yeah. his biological dad. I think it's his, yeah, stepdad or mum's boyfriend or something. Okay. Yeah, so they're in this bathhouse and they get, and it had a weird handle than the guy that sort of let him into the broom with the bath. He sort of, I don't know if he opened the door or he seemed to lock the door behind them. It was weird. But they're just laying their tackle out. It's like, oh, that's a lot of dick. And when I say a lot of dick, it's one dick. But it's like, there's we're, we're, we're looking at a lot. That's a lot of dick. And then he's like, the guy in the in the booth next to him starts singing. So they sort of like, don't know each other, but they're sort of having a go at each other. Then you see the other guy, it's like, more dick. And it's like, just laying there in the water, just dick out, happy as. And then they're having conversation back and forth. It's like, yeah. And then he and then you find out that the, the wall doesn't go all the way to the top. So he stands over the top of the wall to talk to this guy in the next cubicle. Yeah. And they find out they, they actually yeah. went to school together and yeah. they knew each other. But yeah, so that was it's just establishing it. So you got the main character. The main character is the mod Jimmy Cooper, and he's played played by Phil Daniels, who is a bit of a legend of British cinema. He's been in a lot of things, but probably what I suggest you know him best for is the blur song Park. Parklife, he's the guy that does the narration on Parklife. Oh, really? Okay. So, and the other guy that he plays his childhood friend, Kevin, is Ray Winstone. And again, he's been a lot of things. Yes, well, the only yeah. name I recognise. Well, Stinger, obviously, but Ray Winston. Most recently, the um, bad Russian dude from the Black Widow film is the most recent thing, but he was Beowulf. He was in... Tons oh, of stuff. The, the, the Indiana Jones we don't talk about. There's lots of things. Very iconic voice now. But I didn't pick him then, to be honest. It's like when I was looking through the credits, I was like, that was Ray Winston. There you go. Yeah, so I, like I said, I went into this film blind. And I thought it was going to be a feel-good movie or the main character was going to be likable for a start, but he's not. So what I found out, and, and this goes into the mod culture as well, is... The mods were, they were sort of rebels. They were proto-punks in a way. They were pre-punk. And the original mods were pre-hippie as well. I guess with a lot of style and a lot of things like that, it all comes back 
to rebellion. And it was you're sort of a working class sort of thing. And it was the people that were getting into your jazz music. And the mod comes from the term, I think it was modernist. Yeah, it's a shortened version of modern something. Yeah, so it's modern jazz as opposed to traditional jazz. So they were getting into that side of it. They were going to coffee shops because coffee shops could be open later where bars would had to close at 11. So they were getting into that and those sort of things. And apparently, um, yeah, amphetamines was a big deal in the mod culture as well at the time. And this movie does not shy no, away no, from any of that. No. So you've got this main guy, he, he's got a dead-end job. Well, not dead-end, he's, he's a male boy, essentially. He works in the mailroom and hates it, but he lives his life to go to the clubs, takes his amphetamines and drives his scooter and hangs out with his mod mates. And, and, and another thing, like with the culture of the clothes with mods, is they wore fitted suits, like Italian design. They'd buy Italian magazines to get the fashion and they were very stylistic and that was part of the deal. It's like this, we listened to the, the jazz music and they moved on to different types yep. of music later on and they dress very sharply and it was a, it was a rebellion to dress that way and the hair was a little bit longer and all those sort of things and they had a rivalry with the rockers which were your traditional leather jackets riding motorbikes as opposed to scooters lists of rockabilly music and rock and roll versus the r&b and modern jazz that the others did too and there was like full-on gang warfare and i did not know this because i knew mods dress snappily like when i think mods i think austin powers yeah exactly which it did sort of become because mod culture became a thing later on and it was definitely a fashion like it was a way of life at the start and in the same way punk was a thing when you sort of like you get in or goth you know you're sort of like all the mods that were in it they did eventually grow out of it they became family people and couldn't party anymore they you know couldn't go out and just get drunk they had family so they a lot of people grew out of it or yep. they evolved and a lot of them became that's where punk arrived and the more hard hardcore mods skinheads evolved out of it yeah exactly which i had no idea where i'm thinking you know they dance around in their velour suits like austin powers but no it was a lot more nastier and grittier than that it was a very working class thing and quite violent which i wasn't aware of and especially amphetamine use and i even went down a rabbit hole of the dexies which was what they were drinking or the blues they what they called it back then which was yep. a drug that was used up until the 80s but it was abused more than used and that's why they stopped making it anymore because it was a diuretic slash antidepressant which obviously had its effect on people yeah hence the name of the band dexies midnight runners is actually a, a reference to the drug and not many people yes. know that yeah, so so I was I was fascinated by this because I was expecting a sort of a '60s '70s sort of not an adventure movie, but a sort of a, just a, a a bit of a a different story to what it was really. Yeah, but it was a gritty story about this dude because because I was totally blown away that the mods, these well dressed sort of dudes in the scooters, who were kind of cool. I thought it was going to be a cool movie, but it's actually quite gritty. And yeah. nasty. Yeah, so it starts off, and this guy is not likable. I'm thinking, is he the main dude? Because I don't like him. No. Like, he's an angry, angry man. And, I mean, felt if anything, it reminded me of Romper Stomper. Yeah, it has a lot of that, and, doesn't and, it? And the, even the way it was filmed. Like, the camera seemed, for 1979, it seemed pretty progressive. And it felt almost documentary style. It was just in there amongst it. It wasn't a beautiful film in that way. I think it was a beautiful film to look at. But it wasn't filmed gloriously. It was felt real. And, yeah, so you're following this dude just 
sort of going through his life where he's fighting with his family, he's going out partying, he hates his job, he's getting his drugs, he's going in the scooter, he's having a fight against the rockers. And essentially that's it. <laughs> that's yeah. the movie. Well, I guess you could probably tie in the fact that he, he meets up with his school friend Kevin and finds out that, you know, Jimmy's a mod, Kevin's a rocker. So it's like, well, even though we were friends at school, we can't really be friends again now. And that kind of transposes a little bit quite early on because there's a group of rockers that have a go at one of the mods and he makes some sort of reference with this guy sitting on the on the scooter with his girlfriend on the back and he's like, oh, I can't even tell which one's the girl out of your relationship and this sort of stuff. And later on, the, the mods are driving past and they see the rockers hanging out at a like a fish and chip van and they decide they'll, they'll chase after them and jump them. And this group of mods start like punching on with the rockers and then Jimmy realizes that the guy that they're beating up is Kevin, his best mate from high school. And it's like, well, he doesn't really step in and sort of go, well, he's my mate. He just sort of does that whole I'm a mod, he's a rocker, or I've got to hate him now, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And just lets lets his mates kick the shit out of his high school friend, which is yeah, it's kind of not a nice thing for him to do. I mean I mean this is part of it and I didn't realise I was only on reading the wiki that essentially he was schizophrenic. And a lot of the problems, especially with these blues, the drugs they were taking, that it did have its effect. And there's a reason it was discontinued because if they'd go on continued use benders, it didn't help. So, and even the, um, his father figure was talking about his mum's side of the family had schizophrenia in it. So I don't know if that's yep. where the quadrophenia name, because I don't know what the, the name means. I couldn't find what that meant, but yeah. It's well, it's a reference to a recording system, quadraphonic sound. Yeah, so okay. instead of just being stereo sound with two channels, quadraphonic is four sounds. Because I'm just wondering, just thinking out loud now, because he talked about his on his mum's side of the family that you know they've got schizophrenia and this and that. Quadrophenia, maybe is he, is he talking he's got four sides of personalities all going on? I don't know. But because yeah, it was it was all over the shop towards the end, yep. and he, he deteriorated his mental health deteriorated as the movie went on. He, he was all over the shop quite at the start because well, that's he, I was confused because this is the main character here because he goes to a party, they gate crash a party with his mates, and he gets angry with everyone there because they're all having fun. He doesn't, so he's he's doing donuts on his scooter in the front lawn before he hightails it out of there because he gets pissed off with his mates. They went to go buy some drugs from some CD place. They didn't know, not their usual person they buy it from and they end up getting diddled by the wrongs you know they got given paraffin tablets or something so they end up doing the doing the dude's car by just breaking the windows and totaling it on him and then before hoteling out of there so i was just surprised how volatile they were which i suppose i can't see the well-dressed guys you know in anoraks and scooters to me it just seems cute yep but you know they are the prototype for the punk culture and um, skinheads. So it's like it's all there, but they just don't dress what I think. So just seeing how violent and volatile it was, it's like oh, this is quite confronting and shocking. Yeah, because I think me personally, I'm more used to '80s mods who were. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, so they were like the skinheads that grew their hair a little bit longer and and you know wore their suits and Harrington jackets and that sort of stuff and were kind of that less edgy side of the skinheads, but. Yeah, obviously back in the 60s, they were rougher and, and more Well, violent. I suppose, and for me as well, I mean, I, I think of the Mighty Boosh. Yes. And Noel Fielding was king of the mods. That's, to me, as I see it as more an, an effeminate. Exactly. So it was like totally out of whack. So it was not confronting, but it was good. It was eye-opening to me. But they end up going on a road trip as well, the big trip down. And they talked on the news in the show about, you know, people in Brighton are expecting a big conglomerate of um, mods coming down. So they're battening up the hatches and, you know, boarding up their shops because of what happened last time. 
And they were all excited about going on this road trip down to Brighton with all the other mods. And it's a, it's a beautiful looking film in that way where the, you've got all these, you know, scooters and the mods on the scooters and the girlfriends on the back all riding down the um, lovely countryside of England on their way to Brighton. Well, so they make it out like it's a big thing that they're driving from London to Brighton, but it's 75 Ks, I think, London to Brighton. But the way English yeah, people for, think, for, English people think that, that is like a day way. trip and you need to stop somewhere for lunch on the way. But yeah, but Brighton, for yeah. those who don't know Brighton in England, it's a real sort of holiday destination on the coast where a lot of people go for their summer holidays. It's it's a beach type place. Yeah, beach resort. Yep. With the fun fair on the pier and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, they go down to Brighton. They don't really know where they're going to stay and they end up like just staying in some sort of squat or crash house sort of thing. But they do far too many drugs and they go to, I think it's a nightclub they go to. And there's this girl that Jimmy sort of likes, but she's a bit ho-hum about him. And it, it, he sees her at the at the club and tries to pick her up and she's dancing with someone else. And that's when I think they first well, the, see Sting, isn't it? No, when they saw Sting outside, there was a big group of his mates who were mods who went down, but there was a gathering of other mods. Like the gathering of the Juggalos, it was pre that. And they're all just in the streets and they're all, everyone's just happy. It was like a carnival atmosphere. Like all these guys are just so happy. And Sting turns up. Ace Face, is that what they called him? Yeah. Yeah. And he was sort of like this, he was, he was like King of the Mods. Yes. And everyone sort of parted for him and he turned up. He had the bleach blonde hair. He had this tricked out scooter that looked fucking cool. And even even Jimmy seemed quite enamored by him. Yep. It's like, oh, this guy, he's, he's amazing. And the girl seemed that as well. So they sort of saw him there and the, he was at the club and they were dancing in the club and that was all good. And he saw him and she paid more attention to him. So Jimmy being Jimmy, he's got this volatile nature. He's like, well, you're paying attention to him. You can pay attention to me. So he ends up getting up on the balcony, inside balcony of this, the dance floor and was dancing up there and everyone was appreciating. And he ended up doing a stage dive from it and got kicked out of the club by the bouncers. So he's like, again, leaves the place shitty and angry and spends the night on the beach while everyone else parties on and all this sort of stuff happens. Now, what happens is there's a big fucking brawl the next day because the rockers are in town as well because they were looking for a fight. Yep. Both of them were looking for a fight, any excuse really. It, it, it's quite a long brawl. It's, it's not as bad as a romper stomper and it's not as, as visceral as that but it is quite brutal and there's a lot of you know just a lot of people going on. Yeah, I think purely for the numbers involved, Rumper Stomp is more of a one-on-one sort of thing or a gang beating up one yeah, person. Not many, this, yeah. is, this is like hundreds of mods versus hundreds of rockers. And I think it is actually based off a real thing that actually happened back in the 60s, but I couldn't find the info on that. But it's this huge brawl on the beach. Well, it starts in the streets and it ends up on the beach. And it's like, that would be painful because that's not a, it's not an Australian beach. It's nice, not lovely soft sand. It's rocks. Stones. Stones. <laughs> rocks. What's the difference? They're smooth. They're smooth and round. <laughs> oh, it's still hard. <laughs> you do not want to be fighting on that, I can tell you now. No. And obviously there's like holidaymakers in deck chairs that kind of get thrown out of their way and deck chairs get broken and people use pieces of deck chairs as weapons and stuff. And it is a full-on fight. Yeah. And yeah, there's just police coming from everywhere in their Bedford vans with their little sirens going on and they try and break it up. And what gets me is the, the mods really, I think, won the battle. Because they're all on the beach and they're doing their chant and they're all doing the the we are, we are, we are the mods. And it's just, yeah. And, and as we keep saying, it's not what I think of as mods. They're, they're very violent. They're just 
a gang. Yeah, disenfranchised youth is what they are. Yeah. Like, it, it feels because, I mean, it's 1979, so it's pretty much close to an 80s film, but it felt very Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Just in look and feel. But, I mean, it was set in the 60s, so I guess it was going for that similar aesthetic in that way. But, yeah, just the lawlessness and just sheer waste. It, it was like, oh, okay. And that's why it felt very Romper Stomper as well. So you got these disenfranchised people with strong convictions of hate and anger and how it's played out. Yep. So, yeah, I was surprised. If going in saying, what do you think Quadrophenia is about? I'm going to say, oh, it's going to be like Pride or something <laughs> like that. Lover, you know. But no, it was definitely not. Yeah, so he ends up getting arrested. But, bef- but before we get to that bit, but one of the pivotal scenes is where Steph, the girl that he's got the hots for and him are running away from the, the police and they sort of duck down this alleyway and in the heat of the moment they decide that they're going to have sex in this alleyway and for Jimmy that mm. kind of I think that means a lot more to Jimmy than it does to Steph because that plays out quite a bit as the movie progresses yeah so they get arrested and he um Sting gets arrested as well so they're not all these you know rockers and mods are in, in court and they all get done and Sting's up there in the, in the dock and they're going I'm going to find you 75 pounds which sounds like a fuck ton of money it probably would have been on those days sounds like a lot of money now for a fine yeah and he's like he's mr cool his ace face he pulls out a checkbook and he goes i'll pay now if you don't mind can i borrow a pen and he's sort of like all the mods you know are laughing and jimmy's sort of looking at him in awe again with this hero worship yeah so he sort of you know he's been beat up he's been arrested he ends up coming back home and his mum's greets him at the door yelling the shit out of him found his drugs in his room basically gets kicked out of home Yep. So he cracks it because he got arrested and everything. The girl that he screwed in the um, alleyway, she's ended up hooking up with this one of his other mates. Yep. So he's cracked the shits with her. So he ends up trying to beat up his mate. Yeah. And it's just his life falls apart. Yeah. He's just he- because of the fact that he was arrested as well. He he missed a day of work, and when his boss has a go at him for it, he pretty much tells his his boss where to stick his job. Yep. So he ends up quitting, and yeah, a lot of it I think comes down. This is the drug use and the schizophrenia. It's yep. it's. It, He's not making valid choices because of everything that's going on and everything compiling on everything else. So he ends up saying, fuck this. So he gets his money, his severance pay. He goes, screw you, gets his scooter and goes, I'm going to, I'm going to fuck off. (laughs) And in an amazingly filmed stunt or just purely lucky that someone didn't get hurt. He's, he gets cleaned up by a postal worker in the in a postal van on his scooter, and it's just amazingly filmed. Like, what did you think when you saw it? When I, I can remember seeing this as a kid and thinking, <laughs> yes, he got knocked off his scooter by the, the post van. But, but when you watch it again, he actually slides on, the, on a wet piece of ground, and it just so happens as his scooter's sliding out from under him, the post van hits his scooter. Yeah, it's just like, how did they film that? Luckily, I think. It didn't look planned, as in, yes, that was what the, but you can't plan that many elements. It, 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 it was an amazing scene anyway. Yeah. So, so his, his scooter's total. He runs over and he, and he says to the postman, you've killed her or something like that to his scooter. That And that's where we get the C-bomb because the, the postman tries to help him, but he's, he calls him a cunt basically for running over his scooter. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. And so yeah, he's, by, by this stage, Jimmy is losing his shit. So he's lost his job. His girl that he thought he was in love with ends up being with his mate Dave. And that's where that line that I always remember is Dave turns around to him and says, oh, you haven't got a job now. I can get you a job as a garbage man because I heard you're really good at going up and down in alleys. And, and that's what 
sort of sparks him to have a go at his mate, which I, I don't know why, but I just okay. remember that line for years after I first saw this movie. But anyway, so he's he's got no girl. He's got no mate. He's got no scooter. He's now got no scooter. He's spent all this severance money on drugs. So he's he thinks, the only thing that was good in my life was Brighton. Yep. I'll catch the train down to Brighton and I'll try and relive that weekend. So. Yeah, so, so he heads down to Brighton and he's going along and just sort of mosing about. And he ends up seeing Ace Face. Is he nosing yep. around? <laughs> So he sees Ace Face. It's like, oh, but Ace Face is a fucking bellboy at a hotel. Yeah, he, he sees Ace's scooter and goes, oh, that's Ace Face's scooter sort of thing, and then hangs around to try and find out where he is. And, yeah, it turns out that Ace Face Sting is the bellboy at the Brighton yep. Hotel. So it's like, oh. And I, I think that's kind of like the last It is. It's a breaking point. He's like, fuck it. You know, he looked up to this guy. He was a king of the mods, literally. And this is what I was aspiring to be. This is where I was at. This is what it is. He was the coolest. And when you break it all down, no, he's just another pleb like me. And what am I doing this for? I've lost everything. So he ends up getting the keys to his scooter. He steals his scooter and he goes on another gorgeously filmed scene. He goes riding along. And I thought it was Dover, but it's not. But it's those chalk cliffs that you see. In, in England yep. and he's riding the scooter along the edge of that and to me I was getting anxious watching him because it was getting too close to the edge for my liking it was probably a good two metres from the edge but it was still too close on a scooter I, I just you know fair chops to him and it was beautifully filmed from a helicopter yes I think they'd filmed it you a couple tell. of times because you can actually see the exactly I was I was, <laughs> Which is I was thinking the same thing it's like oh you can see where <laughs> other bikes have been along here obviously it's a common thing to do yeah, yeah so and it gets to the end and he drives off the edge and he basically screams and yells and shoots the scooter off the edge of the cliff now it's a well-filmed shot where the camera follows the scooter as it goes down and it explodes on impact when it lands at the bottom he's not on the scooter so i don't know if they obviously couldn't kill an actor to do the scene was he meant to be on the scooter or did he jump off it's like the way i interpret it it's like he's had enough he gets to the edge he throws the scooter off and he's throwing away the mod lifestyle that's that's the way okay because I, I i read somewhere where the opening scene actually is a sunset and him walking and that's that that's actually yeah. the last scene of the film is the opening scene so he has jumped off and he's just sent yep. the bike off so i can see it as that so is it a redemption arc at the end where he he severs the mod style and that's it he's going to start a new life is that what's going to happen that that's how i okay. interpret it I, I don't know if that's how other people do, but that's that's how I interpret it. It's like he's had his lowest point. He realized that the guy that he looked up to wasn't all that he was cracked up to be. Even though he had a pretty fancy Lambretta, he just <laughs> throws that into the ocean off the coast of Beachy Head in Brighton. Yep. And yeah, it's like saying goodbye to the mod lifestyle. But I, I really would like to know what happens to him after that because the film just ends with him walking into the sunset, really. Hmm. But, so i got to say, after all that, I've been loving the idea, like the Royal Air Force symbol, is it? Is that quite synonymous with the mods? The circle, the blue and red and white circle? That's what I think of Quadrophenia. Yeah, well, in the, the 60s, I think yeah. The Who had one of their albums where the O in The Who was that symbol. Took it on. Mods just yeah. took that symbol. Yeah, so that, that was for me. So this was a real eye-opener, and it's something I really enjoyed. Now, I don't know how you saw it, but I was trying to find legitimate ways to watch it and couldn't no i i had to dig up an illegal copy unfortunately it's not on any of the streaming services so in the end i was gonna go down that route and I, was, I just couldn't be bothered so i went old school and i paid to rent it oh did you yeah i did so it cost me five bucks to rent it and i was like well oh, that, that'll do me but it was gorgeous like the quality was gorgeous um obviously some sort of you know upspect rip oh not rip it's a streaming service through apple tv but it was absolutely beautiful to look at 
So it was yeah. a really nice quality. And it's a really good looking film with a kicker soundtrack. And because I didn't recognize any of the actors, it felt more real in yeah. that way. I didn't. I didn't recognize Ray Winston, so therefore it wasn't like, oh, there's Ray Winston. No, it's all these people I didn't know. And it just felt, you know, it was London, it was England, it was just this time capsule that was captured. Even though it was made in 79, you could have told me it was a 1960s film. It's just the dropping no, of the F-bomb and the C-bomb that made me yeah. feel it. Yeah. So yeah. I, I was I'm so glad you recommended this because I, I, I loved it. You know, I pay my $5 for it. I don't buy too much physical meter anymore. But, you know, if there was a decent Blu-ray out there, I would be considering buying it because it was kind of cool. But, you know, I'm just not going to rewatch it that often. But um, hmm. I totally dug it. Like, it, and I mean, and the fact that I went down the rabbit hole, I actually, you know, I read the wiki on that. Then I went to the wiki on mods and there's so much on that because just the evolution of mods because it started with something moved on to this sort of version then they became punks and then others split off into different factions so you got your punks your skinheads your other things and just the music that's involved the drugs that were involved and then reading the wiki about different drugs and what they were doing and why they got appropriate and everything it's like it was just so much more that it it, it, it gave me so much more than just watching an entertaining film and yep. yeah thank you for suggesting it because I don't know when I would have got around to watching it otherwise but yeah that was so so fucking cool but not nice, but cool. I think as far as the mod revival, actually the making of Quadrophenia kind of started a bit of the mod revival as well. It's like there was already a little bit of it happening, but then sort of late 70s when this movie came out, the mods sort of came back, 70s, early 80s mods, based on Quadrophenia. So, yeah. Okay. But, yeah, so... Obviously, the mods of the time in the 60s were listening to The Who and The Small Faces and stuff like that. But by the time the 80s rocked around, bands like The Jam, who were kind of almost reinventing that style of music that The Who were playing, caused a bit of a, a chain reaction that, you know, they were playing the same sort of music the original mods listened to, so the new mods listened to them. Yep. But yeah, I, I can totally see why you went down that rabbit hole because I know myself, I went down a, a little bit of a rabbit hole into the whole Sharpies and Bodgies gang warfare in Melbourne of the 60s as well. So the, the Sharpies were kind of like the rockers. Yep. They were they were more the rough sort of, you know, listen to Rose Tattoo and music like that and Bogan type kids. And obviously the Bodgies were the, the better dressed, nicer looking people that caused a lot of gang fights late fifties, early sixties in Melbourne, I think it would have been. Okay. But yeah, it, it's a huge subculture and it, it is an interesting thing to to look back on. And saying that the movie is a time capsule is a very good way to describe it. Hmm. All right. Well, I think that's about all we can talk about, about Quadrophenia right now. So go out, put on your anorak. What do, you, what do you call the green jackets they wear? He called sort it a parka. He called it a parka, but I would refer to it as an anorak. Yeah. Go put on your parka, get on your scooter or your lambretta, and listen to some who, and take a couple of um, Louis. Have a good night. Yeah, definitely. And, and you can be as unlikable as Jimmy was in this movie as well. Yeah, no one was likable. It was quite funny. Hmm. Yeah, makes for an interesting film. All right. All righty. Well, if you have any feedback for us, you can drop us a line on our Facebook page. We are facebook.com slash the massive attack podcast. You can find us as the MA podcast on Twitter. And if you want to find our website, we are the MA podcast.podbean.com. So until we come back next time with the letter R, thank you very much, Mitch. Thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye.
stone. 